Well, as promised, we are moving after our trek. Slow though it was through John 1 on to John chapter 2. As we consider the great passage of Jesus turning water into wine there at the wedding of Cana in Galilee, the first of his seven signs as John uh, refers to them. And more on that in just a, in just a, a moment. I'll be brief here in kind of a... <clears throat> Uh, kind of a uh, uh, a teaser into what's to come, um, having to do with the calendar. So seven weeks from today, we anticipate gathering to celebrate Easter. After a week of below freezing weather, of which Dana grew very tired of me complaining about as I sat at home uh, and she was out uh, walking through parking lots and picking up kids and all that stuff. Uh, I am elated uh, regarding new life and spring. That said, the cycles of the season do a good job, especially in Kansas, where we have all four of them, sometimes within a day or two. But uh, specifically, as we transition from winter to spring, proclaiming to us that the renewal of creation that we'll see as flowers begin to sprout and trees bloom, first necessitate fall and winter. Uh, to put it in a, another way, a resurrection first requires death. Right? And the church as a whole helps us to remember that uh, as we prepare for the celebration of Easter with the marking of our own mortality, the reminder that even our own uh, bodily resurrection, which Linda read about from 1 Corinthians, as the, uh, as the uh, corruptible takes on incorruption, that requires death first. So this Wednesday, although we won't have any, uh, any designated service, some denominations and traditions do, uh, will be Ash Wednesday. This reminder that we are preparing ourselves to celebrate resurrection by remembering that there are elements of our own life that require death. I've been praying and thinking about how we might engage in that this year for several weeks. I'm going to stick with my kind of preaching plan in John, but I thought what we might do, you know, one of the, one of the main uh, areas of focus during the season of Lent uh, can be, probably should be, prayer. If there's one thing our world needs, or we as individuals, or at least I need, it is probably an increased focus on prayer. And, and so beginning next Sunday, up until Palm Sunday, so we'll only do this for about five, five of the uh, uh, Sundays leading up to Easter, I'm going to, to tinker with our order of service just a little bit. So I'm giving fair warning to Linda and, and Sis here. Uh, I, I'm not sure how dramatic it'll be. I don't think it'll be too too much. I think all of the elements that we usually include will be included. And the next Sunday, we'll also celebrate communion. Uh, but I, I want us to set aside some time during our worship service, even in addition to the prayers we already have, for what is sometimes called guided prayer. So probably three or four, maybe five minutes, where we'll put some things up on the screen and we'll just join together silently is really my plan, but with specific matters that we're praying for. Praying for in our own individual hearts, in the, in the lives of our family, for our church, for our, our world. I'm excited about what that time of prayer will, 
uh, include and result in. I hope that you come uh, next Sunday ready to, uh, to, to, to give it a try. But anytime there's going to be some sort of a change in the and kind of the, uh, the, the the typical elements. I think it's helpful for me to know that, and uh, we'll see what it looks like. I don't have it laid out yet, so who knows what? Uh, <laughs> that was my goal for this week to kind of have a rough idea, and I didn't get it. Uh, I didn't get it done, but we will see how God leads us next uh, next week and and through this journey of Lent as we prepare to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. Speaking of prayer, as we prepare our hearts to hear the words from John. Let's pray. God, we're privileged this morning to open and hear your words. The desire of our heart this day is simple. We ask that you would teach us those things we do not know. Give us those things that we do not have but truly need. And make us the people you've created us to be. Even through the sharp, two-edged sword, you've described your word to be. In the name of the Word, the Lord Jesus. Amen. From John 2, beginning in verse 1, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. I've really enjoyed my study of this passage this week, and I, I've kind of wrestled with landing on what I thought was the, the, the most significant area of focus. There's a lot of detail in this passage. There's the detail of Jesus and the disciples being invited to this wedding at Cana in Galilee, of course, Jesus' home region. There's the, the detail of Jesus talking back, it looks like to us, a little bit to his mother. I would just, I'm not going to go into a, a whole lot of detail, but the, 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 way, the way we, uh, if my mom were to ask me to do something and I said to her, woman, that would not go over well. That, that translation is probably, uh, we're reading into it, probably something that's not there. I, I, I saw someone who suggested that it's uh, uh, probably ma'am would be almost a, a more uh, uh, appropriate or kind of catch the, the real spirit of what Jesus was saying to his, his mother. That it, it doesn't sound as, as back-talky, for, for lack of a, of a more technical term, than it, uh, it sounds more than it, than it is. There's the detail of, of how many gallons that these jars held. There, there's so much that we can 
we can delve into. But as you might have concluded from the title and even this slide, I, I want our focus to be on the way this story represents a cry for help. The word help is easy to spell, it's easy to pronounce, but it can be difficult to say. Just four letters long, H-E-L-P, easy to put together, but the ramifications can be pretty drastic. However, my help or my helper is a very common descriptor of God throughout Scripture. Just to highlight a few. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble from Psalm 46.1. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me from Psalm 54. Another great Psalm, Psalm 121. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then from the New Testament, Hebrews 13. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? This word, help, though difficult to admit at times, really encapsulate, encapsulates what God intended to be primary in the way that humanity related to him. This relationship of dependence, it's the undertone of a prayer of salvation. It's really, the, it's, uh, you, you, you could summarize the, the Romans road or the sinner's prayer with just these four letters. Help! It also represents the basis of discipleship as we continue to walk with Jesus. Asking the Spirit of God to transform us, to do something for us we cannot do for ourselves, to help us. The sign, as John calls it, that we read about in John 2 this morning, presents for us an example of living in continual, though oftentimes quiet and even simple, dependence on God. You'll remember from our study a few weeks ago in John 1, that John says that Jesus, the Word, moved into the neighborhood, as one translation says. That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, what did a good neighbor do in the first century with other neighbors? You invited them to your wedding. It was a, uh, uh, a very much a, a community-involved celebration. And it was not a short-term celebration either. It likely lasted about a week altogether. The folder on my computer that I keep such things shows that I've officiated or been involved in helping to officiate about a dozen weddings in the last 10 years or so. Just a couple of weeks ago, I sat down with a great couple my connection, I was trying to figure out the, the easiest way to describe it. The bride is the sister of my sister-in-law. <laughs> so Dana, uh, Missy, Stephen's wife, the police officer here in Kansas City, her sister is getting married, and I sat down with Alex and with her fiancé the other day, the other night, and we talked through a, a wedding in September that they're planning to have. And we were talking about 
the, all of the details, all of the logistics of a wedding. Who stands where, on which side, and, and all of the possibilities that a wedding can entail and include, and, and things that I thought were, were kind of non-negotiables, and things that I thought were, you know, you could, there's a lot of options that you could, uh, you could uh, uh, consider here. And, and when we got done, when we got done, I, I said, guys, we've, we've laid it all out. We've laid it all out here, but I want you to know, I want you to know that there is a high probability that something will go not quite as we have planned. Now, neither of these weddings represent one that I was uh, involved in, or neither of these pictures represent a wedding I was involved in, but in nearly every wedding that I've helped with, there's been something, even my own, <laughs> Sometime Dana can tell you about the photographer situation at our wedding, March 29th of 2008. Much of it I really didn't know was going on until well after. Surprise, surprise, right? But in, 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 every, in every wedding, the best laid plans, we were engaged for over a year. And, and, and Dana and her mom and, and, and her dad and, and, and some of her bridesmaids worked to make sure that all the details were taken care of and and really, my, my main job was to show up, and I did that. And, um, but but with, with, with almost every wedding, there's something that doesn't quite go right. At the wedding described in John 2, something very significant did not go right. They ran out of wine. Hmm? In the world of the first century, this was a big problem. Like I said, a wedding celebration typically lasted about a, a week with the event of the, 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 the ceremony and the coming together of the bride and the groom happening on the first day of the celebration and then continuing for about a week's time. And during that time, the groom was the one uh, primarily responsible pr for providing food and drink sufficient to last for the duration of the feast. We think about Mary and Joseph's betrothal, right? Remember Christmas time we talked about how uh, they were betrothed to one another? That was probably about a year-long process. And part of that time frame, the, the groom was saving up to be able to put on this feast. And it had wider ramifications of just, let's have a nice, big, prolonged party. The groom's ability to provide adequately this feast was reflective of his ability and his preparedness to take on a wife, to take on a family. So you can imagine the shame, the questions, the whispers that would be present if all of a sudden, uh-oh, this guy's not ready. This guy is not ready for the commitment that he has made. Additionally, I saw multiple places as I looked this week that indicated that if you invited people to a wedding and you ran out of food or drink, they had the legal right to sue you. <laughs> Choose your guess wisely, right? <laughs> Mary, the mother of Jesus, as she's called in John, notes the problem and has the courage and wisdom to present it to Jesus. Her conversation with Jesus summarized in four letters. H-E-L-P. 
while the impact of the act was far-reaching in, in, the, in the fact that all of the guests had plenty, excessive amounts of wine after Jesus performed this first sign in, in John's gospel, the miracle itself appears to happen pretty quietly. Mary's request or prayer was followed by simple instruction to the servants. Do whatever he tells you. They do with the result being the master of the banquet, probably kind of the, the main host, if you will, of the, of the banquet, tasting what he declared to be the best wine he'd ever had. Jesus was approached. Help was requested. Quietly, Jesus acted in a way that resulted in the couple avoiding absolute disaster. Who knew? Who knew of this act? Mary? Joseph or Mary, Jesus, the disciples, and the servants. That's it. It was a quiet, kind of under the radar, nondescript action. But though done with little fanfare, there was a specific result that Jesus achieved, which is noted in. Verse 11, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and his disciples believed in him. This sign, the revealing of Jesus' glory, goes far beyond water being turned into wine, or the fact that Jesus is even capable of such things. It, instead, Mary's cry for help gives the, gives the couple-day-old disciples a peak of further confirmation of who Jesus is and what he's up to in the world. They first begin to see, oh, this, this guy, this guy that we've very recently devoted our lives to follow is, is at least a magician, right? He can at least do some, some pretty cool stuff. Let's do a, a quick thought experience experiment as I try to land this plane. Now, I, I need to be clear here that this is, not, this is not currently the plan for the Clark family summer vacation. But what if, what, if, what if I told the three youngest among us here today that we were going to get in the van and drive... 1,255 miles from our home to Disney World. In Orlando, Florida. Jonah's ready to go. Packing this. Just a nice, peaceful 18-hour, 20-minute drive together in the van. Now imagine that we arrive at Walt Disney World, the magic kingdom where dreams come true. This is the entrance right there. And let's say that after 18 hours and 20 minutes and 1,255 miles, that we got out of the van, we pulled off uh, there on the side, right there by Mickey, and we got out and I said, okay, go ahead and line up. Elijah and Jonah stood on the right side there by Mickey and Catherine doubtlessly would want to stand on the left side by Minnie. And, and we took our, our cell phones out and 
We took a picture. We, we took a selfie. And then I said to them, okay, we've seen the sign. Let's get back in the van. Let's get back in the van and, and drive 1,255 miles and spend another 18 hours and 20 minutes together and go back to Kansas City. Because we've seen the sign. <laughs> I don't think that they would count that as much of a, summer, of a summer vacation. And I would probably guarantee that they would spend multiple hours in therapy at some point in their life if, if I tried to do something like that. Right? Hmm. Because the sign at the entrance of Disney World points to something beyond itself. John will recount for us during our study in John. In fact, it's going to kind of culminate in John 11 where Lazarus is raised from the dead. John is going to give us seven times where there's a very specific sign, the first of which is right here, that Jesus performs for his disciples. This first one was Jesus quietly changing water to wine when Mary asked for help. This sign points to something beyond itself. A life-changing truth about Jesus. This initial sign points to Jesus' ability when we cry out to help, to Him for help, to meet the needs in our life where we find ourselves running out. And to do so with an abundance that we could not even imagine. What are you running low on? What if you run out of strength, hope? <laughs> no doubt a number of possibilities. I think that this passage reminds us or encourages us or invites us to cry out for help. And then, <laughs> and then as Mary instructed the servants, do whatever he tells you. Asking God for help is our admission that we can't, but God can. 